This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today I want to talk about 12 non-negotiable sales truths. And there are also 12 not-so-popular sales truths. When we talk about sales truths, I think one of the things we look at is our desire to negotiate the price of success or what it means to be a successful sales professional. As sales professionals, and even as sales leaders, we're always looking for the edge, a way to shortcut and reduce the distance or the, the length of time it t- takes to get from point A to point B. But in many cases, there are some core sales truths and principles that you can't shortcut. That They're just a reality if we want to have long-term success in sales. So I'm going to go through these in today's podcast. Once again, this is published on YouTube at Shane Gibson. Uh, clips will be also published at uh, Shane Gibson on Instagram, as well as Shane Gibson Live on TikTok. And of course, you can find this podcast, Shane Gibson's Sales Podcast, almost anywhere you can find podcasts from Spotify uh, to Amazon uh, to everything in between. So let's get into these 12 non-negotiable sales truths. Number one, the first one is you can never be too busy to prospect and work your funnel. So I think this is really important. It is one of these investments for our future self that we can't stop making. I have seen time and time again, and I've experienced this myself in my own business, is we get so busy with inbound and servicing clients and tied up in meetings and admin and extracurricular stuff within the work environment that we forget that prospecting is our lifeblood. Often as part of it is because it's not immediate. Our sales cycle is somewhere between three to six weeks to six months. And so we don't feel the pain right away when we're not consistently filling our sales funnel. But the reality is, is people who consistently perform and close deals day in and day out, we're consistently prospecting and filling their funnel day in and day out weeks or months ago. So this is the first non-negotiable sales truth. You have to constantly carve out time in your calendar, book it proactively, to be prospecting and working your funnel. Number two, an inquiry is not necessarily a lead no matter what their sentiment. And I think this is really important is too often we get excited about someone filling out a form. And in many cases, the debate between sales and marketing on what a marketing qualified or sales qualified lead really looks like. And for me, just because someone shows interest, they're easy to reach out to, they might even work for the right company, it doesn't mean it's a true lead. There's a whole bunch of other factors that make them ideal, from decision-making power to what's happening within their organization, to budget approvals, to really what's happening in the marketplace. And so from this perspective, it's really important is before we stick something in our funnel that is truly qualified and we get truly real on what an ideal prospect and client is. Sometimes someone who's ready right now is not a true 20%er or A category prospect. And I think it's really important is the more we get good at filtering them out and actually reducing the attention we give them, the more attention and energy we can give to filling our funnel with the right people. Rule number three. So number three non-negotiable sales sales truth is discovery is so much more than questions. So discovery and client needs analysis. I've seen a lot of good emphasis on asking the right questions. But the reality is there's so much more to it. Too many people go through the motions. Oh, I asked those five questions. I nodded. I took notes. I heard their core pains and the way we go. I've got enough to write a proposal. 
And then all of a sudden that person doesn't even call us back. One of the reasons why is, did we establish trust and rapport within that meeting through effective listening, asking the right questions, responding in effective ways, digging deeper where needed, and even pushing back and establishing trust and credibility by doing so. And so a great discovery call or a great client needs analysis is just as much, as much about knowing when to listen, when to interject and disrupt, when to lead, and when to take the passenger seat. And at the end of the day, our goal during discovery is two simple things. For the client to truly share their deepest driving motivations from a business perspective. And third, that we've established true credibility, rapport, and trust. And so it's a lot more than just going through the motions of asking the questions. It takes a lot more skill than memorizing a script. You have to develop people, empathy, curiosity, and really confident skills in order to execute discovery well. Number four, conversations outside of the sales and buying process are where the magic happens. So I just talked about the power of questions during discovery, but for me, in most cases, growing clients often has very little to do with an official meeting. Those sidebar conversations after we deployed or delivered a solution, those in-between meetings, those social events we bump into them, these serendipitous opportunities that you try to create so you can engage them, in between the official steps in servicing them or selling them is really where the magic happens. For me, it's about establishing deeper value and deeper relationships and credibility and usefulness so they can see us as a trusted advisor and partner. That doesn't always happen in the sterile sales process or buying process. It happens outside of that when we invest more time in getting to know them and their organization. Number five, and this kind of goes hand in hand with this, is you rarely are talking to the decision maker. And so when I talk about this, we all kind of know the Gartner studies now. Over the years, every year Gartner kind of up, ups the number. And they looked at sales metrics and around the number of decision makers that are involved in most business to business decisions, even five or six years ago was, you know, five and a half. Today it's closer to seven people within any given organization or more are influencing that buying decision. So the oversimplified thought process around, oh, I've got the right person or I've got my champion. Often it feels like I've done enough, but the reality is you've only started. That we have to put the work in to understand and get to know the other players. That will take time. That will take trust building. That will take us moving through gatekeepers. But all of this together is going to help you truly solidify opportunities and grow the client. Sometimes when you establish this network as well, it's so easy once we get comfortable just to stick with one or two people within that network and neglect the rest. But the reality is you have to work all those relationships consistently in order to really gain and also retain and grow key accounts. Number five, you don't get good sales results by scaling mediocre. And this is so important. This is where I see absolute destruction of individual and corporate brands right now on platforms like LinkedIn, where now they're automating their mass messaging. Well, let's see if I mass message 50 people with this generic message, one gets back to me. The reason why is my messaging and my strategy sucks, but I know what I'll do. I'll automate it so I can mass message 500. So now, wow, I'm gonna get 10 people getting back to me per day and that's enough to make my quota. But to get that 10, 
I've alienated 490 other contacts who've had a bad experience with my brand, they don't feel listened to, and often they just don't understand why I've reached out to them at all because there's no context and no real customized motivation or outreach that makes sense for me to respond. So I think it's really important is if you're not getting the results you want, don't quadruple your efforts. Yes, increase some efforts and discipline if you're not doing the bare minimum, but refine your approach instead. That takes more work and effort than it does to buy into a solution that automates for you and hope by spraying and praying in the marketplace, you're gonna hit enough people to get a response that you've offended more people and impacted your brand negatively. Number seven, and this is important, practice does not make perfect. This is a martial arts lesson from my teacher, Fred Shadian, many years ago. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If I practice the wrong thing over and over again, or a, you know, a cheap imitation of a good sales approach over and over again, or a mediocre script over and over again, I'm not going to get better. I'm just going to get more ingrained in the wrong thing to do. So I think it's really important is repeating and training and what works does help us get better. And so that is about investing in best practices, sharing best practices, reaching out and finding external benchmarks and processes that have been proven to work and adopting them. So it's not just about doing it over and over again and picking up the phone until I get better at it. There's a much better way to do that that allows us not to form bad habits or have just awful sales experiences personally. Number eight, this is an important one. This is from a management perspective, I think. This is something that kind of irks me a bit. When I hear salespeople say, my leads, my customer, my territory, I don't have to share that information with them or it's about me. And the reality is they're not your leads. They're not your customers and it's not your territory. If you're hired by a company to work that marketplace and paid a daily wage and a commission to do so, those leads, those customers in that market actually belongs to your CEO or the shareholders of that organization. You're paid a specific role to develop that network of opportunities for your organization. Now, why do I bring this up? I think too often we get possessive in these relationships and we stop being a team seller and we miss out on the bigger opportunity to use our whole organization to service our client if we start to think like that lone ranger instead of that team seller where we're helping our clients and our customers and our prospects to deliver the best solutions and really maintain those customers for a lifetime. Number 10, expertise beats tenure in sales. I don't care how long you've been doing it. It doesn't mean you're necessarily gonna be a top performer. My father said something to me a really interesting number of years ago when I talked about somebody having 20 years of sales experience and I just couldn't figure out why they just, no matter what we do, don't seem to be improving year on year. And he said to me very simply, well, does he have 20 years of sales experience or does he have one year of sales experience 20 times over? In other words, has he really learned and developed? And this is where we see a brand new person. I could think of a, an exotic car dealership high-end premium used car dealership that I worked with a number of years ago where the top salesperson was never even in sales a year before. They were in marketing, but they came in highly teachable. They studied the products, the brands, the marketplace, the service process, the company ethos, 
and they were totally open to doing things differently from a sales process perspective. There was a bunch of experienced guys there who made pretty good income, but this guy came on and blew them away because of his openness to learn something new and develop true expertise in a short period of time. So I think it's important is that just because we have experience doesn't mean we're guaranteed success. Just because we're top in the organization doesn't mean we're gonna stay there by doing what we've always done. It's about continually refining our expertise as the market, as our products and solutions and our competitors change. Number 11, it will be harder to reach your sales goals than you think. Be prepared to expand what you think work is. And I think this is really key. This is something that I have to remind myself continually is in many cases when we set a big goal, for me, even when I'm writing a book, you know, I'm, I'm now working on book number five right now on sales conversations is the book uh, working title. That won't be the final title. But the reality is, is that, you know, in my mind, I got a picture of what it's going to take to get this book done in the period of time that I want it to. But I know now from experience that I almost always, no matter how, many cons how conservative I am, always underestimate how much effort, time and energy and what roadblocks would be involved in that type of project. I think about my largest clients that I've closed in the last 24 months and the energy it took to land the deal, retain the deal, service the customer and make it work, significantly more hours. I would say I underestimated by maybe 25 to 30% of the effort. And so why I bring this up is if we go in eyes open knowing that no matter how much I estimate, it'll probably take me 20 or 30% more work, effort, skills, resources to get to that massive sales goal that excites me then I've set myself up for success. Too often, people put the effort in, they realize there's a lot more involved, they're losing traction, and they quit on their goals. And so really think about that as a non-negotiable sales truth, is the goal is worth it, but it'll take more effort, resources, and probably learning than you expected. And number 12, this is a bit of a bonus one, is AI isn't a magic bullet. But not using AI is going to limit your competitiveness. So this is sort of a catch-22. I've seen a lot of people think they can fully rely on AI to write things like emails or blog posts or respond to people or do research. And what they get often without their own input is mediocre content and content that sounds like everybody else is kind of watered down in the marketplace. It lacks that creative human element that's unique that maybe gives you the edge if you truly are that expert. Now with that said though, AI also does some really cool stuff. So for instance, now when I look through my CRM and I'm using the various plugins I use that are driven by AI, what used to take me five or 10 minutes in researching a client now takes a couple clicks when I get all the core data on that client. As a salesperson, because I'm using Fathom, uh, Fathom AI on my Zoom calls, it's taking notes for me and writing summaries and giving me action items and I can send that all off with one click and a small edit with a client and that saves me 20 minutes every meeting. So as we add this up from competitive intelligence to streamlining and systemizing manual activities, I would say me as an individual business owner, but also I'm out selling every day to new accounts and servicing clients, it's saving me minimum of 15 to 20 hours a week that I used to do manually. So if your competitors are saving 20 hours a week using AI and they're selling against you, if you've got the same skill set set, they've got a massive advantage from efficiency. So look at investing in AI, but realize you are still the driver. 
It's not driving you. You still have to rely on your credibility, your creativity, your expertise, and your drive to make it work. This is Shane Gibson's podcast from closingbigger.net.